Well, good morning. Yes, I'm so thankful to be here with Sandra, my wife. Um, like I mentioned to several people this morning, it's almost like coming home. Uh, and that uh, I'm from the Philly area originally. My dad had come and preached at this church back, I don't know, probably in the 60s. Um, and uh, we started visiting his church. Now, over 30 years ago, as when we went to the Dominican Republic, and um, this church has been a partner and uh, uh, support base for us since that time, and we so much appreciate that. And also, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to bring God's Word this morning, and I invite you then to join me uh, as we read from our passage this morning of Luke 4, and we're going to be reading Luke 4, verse 14 through 21. And uh, keep in mind as we read, this is, uh, uh, the context is this very early in Jesus' public life, uh, before actually he began any type of public ministry, shortly after his baptism and after he was tempted in the desert. And we pick it up here on, at verse 14, Luke 4, 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <clears throat> then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fast, fastened on him, and he began by saying this to them. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That is the word of the Lord for us this morning. And uh, we could think about Jesus at that moment, and uh, as was, was his custom, as it says here, to go into the synagogue. It was also the custom in Jewish synagogues to have the adult males have turns basically reading scripture. And uh, they also had designated uh, designated passages for different Sabbath days. And they read from the, the what we call the Old Testament today, the Tanakh. And uh, these passages were, again, as you probably know, were not necessarily designated by chapter verse. It's something more modern. But uh, by the position they were in the scroll. And this day, as it says here, he was handed the scroll of, of the prophet Isaiah. I think it would be beneficial to us also to go back and look at that passage in Isaiah. And that's Isaiah 61. And you'll see that on your screen as well. And we're going to read uh, up to verse 4. We'll see now how this uh, resonated, resonated with Jesus and how, as he read it, he identified with this message. You'll notice slight differences, perhaps, and we're going to comment on those as well. So Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the leer of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to com comfort all those who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, 
the, joy, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Uh, that's up to verse 4. And it goes on from there. I encourage you to uh, look at it sometime. Read the entire chapter. It's a beautiful passage. And Isaiah just preaches this wonderful message of restoration uh, of God's vision, his mission, really, for his creation. Uh, wow, what a message, huh? And as Jesus read it, as I said, he identified with that message. Now we can debate, okay, did Jesus pick that passage specifically as his inaugural passage? Or was it like the verse, actual verses designated for that day? Uh, that's perhaps up for the debate, even though he was reading the passage that was designated. But it, says, it does say in Luke that he found the place where it is written. Hmm, so maybe he did have a specific purpose for reading that. Of course, he was Jesus. Of course, he had a purpose. And as he read that, he was identifying with it. We could call it his mission statement, his inaugural address, because it stated what he came for. It was clearly his purpose, his mission. And we read it again. We can look at different aspects of how God had this plan for creation. God had a purpose for his people as well. And this plan, as we know, was deviated by sin. But he kept the plan. God didn't toss out his plan. He didn't toss out the world. He began his plan for restoration, for, re, for uh, rescuing that, this creation, for redeeming it. And he, his plan was to bring it back to the state of shalom, of peace, of perfection that he had at the beginning. And this, this chapter in Isaiah is one example of how in the Old Testament, this vision, this, this view of what it should be is all over. Uh, going way back, first in the Garden of Eden, of course, where you have it perfect before sin. And then even later as, you know, God's people... The original creation fell into sin. God's people fell into sin and deviated from his plan. He never gave up. God never gave up. And we can see also through uh, the law that was given by Moses. A couple examples in the Old Testament. One is a very well-known passage in Leviticus 25.10. And this one I don't even have to look up. I'm just going to read, recite the part where it says, Proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. That's how it's written on the Liberty Bell anyway. Um, the good old King James Version. That was his God's purpose. Freedom, liberty, and perfect freedom from sin. Freedom from the corruption from, of sin. Freedom from the fall. And that was his purpose. And he continued to uh, pronounce that throughout the scriptures. The, the Old Testament law reflects that. Later on, in the poetic part of the Bible, has it as well. I invite you to look at uh, Psalm 145, 14 is another example. The Lord upholds all those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. And then the, previ- the, the next chapter, actually, uh, 146, verses 7 through 9, say, who, okay, speaking of the Lord who executes judgment, justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. 
The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the righteous. And he upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. And it continues throughout the the Old Testament scriptures. uh, In anticipation of the Messiah, God sent his prophets. And all throughout the prophets you find what we could see is like little snippets, little visions of this shalom. Uh, and now, this, for example, a passage that we read, that Jesus read, Psalm uh, Isaiah 61 is one, but there are numerous others. And uh, I don't know if we can put a few of them up on the screen, just if you want to note, write them down. Uh, there's Isaiah 11, verse 2, Isaiah 42, 7, 57, 15. There's another one in Jeremiah 34, 8. This is only a few of the dozens, literally dozens of scriptures that are sprinkled throughout the prophets. And it actually is a very important theme in all the prophets of God's restoration and the, this vision of shalom that he has uh, that he had planned, he has planned. And his plan was through Jesus Christ that this would take place. And as Jesus came then, of course, as we said, he adopted this, he, uh, he embraced this call. And as he read it, uh, we just go line by line and see how it completely explained his vision, his purpose. And we can do that briefly. If you want to look at, back at Luke, again, Luke 4, and we're going to pick up at verse 18. Uh, the first thing he says is, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And, you know, maybe some people sitting there said, yeah, yeah, I heard that before, you know. They read, the thing, they read that many times. Well, Jesus might have, he could have stopped and said, no, I mean it. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. You guys, some of you guys saw it. I was at the Jordan River and John baptized me and the Spirit of the Lord came down in a visible form like a dove. So when I say the Spirit of the Lord is on me, I mean it. That was special. That was different. And perhaps that's one reason why he could say today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But then he goes on. He says, because he has anointed me. That coming of the Spirit was an anointing. And anointing, as we know, is a special practice. It was a, a, a ritual or a, a, a passage that would happen with kings, but also with prophets. And uh, when Jesus was anointed, he was then fulfilling a certain role. And perhaps we also know what is the word anointed, anointed one in Hebrew is the Messiah. In Greek, it's the Christ. So he says, and he then went on and said, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, that, you know that anointing? That's me. That spirit coming down, that was just proof of that. He was declaring himself that he was the Messiah, the Christ. It was fulfilled in their hearing. Uh, and then he went on from there. Why were you called? Why were you anointed? To proclaim good news to the poor. And uh, that may seem like a very simple statement, and in a way it is, because the poor, many of whom he was speaking to right there, were the, kind of the salt of the earth type of people. Poor farmers, you know, they had their little piece of land, they had their herds of goats and sheep and whatever. Uh, they were the righteous poor of Israel. That was probably the most common the most, you know, most numerous part of the population of Israel. In fact, they were called that in kind of colloquial terms in those days. The, they were this, this righteous poor group. They were faithful Israelites, 
You know, they were trying to do the right thing. Um, they were fulfilling the law as best they could. And they, you know, fulfilling all the, the uh, everything required by, of them as faithful Israelites. But they were still poor. And perhaps many of them felt, as perhaps the richer Israelites felt, that um, they were somehow not getting God's blessing. You know, because they're still poor. What's going on? We're trying to do everything right. But we have to remember, as in those days, as it is also today, um, the poor are not just poor for their own, for their own fault. Uh, many of them are trying to do the right thing. And why is good news important? This is why it's a pretty simple thing. Good news to the poor. Well, what's, what do the poor need more than anything? They need some good news. Because all they get is bad news. You know? If you're poor, you know, and you turn around one day, you know, maybe you lost your job. That's bad news. Or, you know, somebody had an accident or got sick. That's bad news. Or you got ripped off. Somebody cheated you out of something or whatever. It's always bad news. Well, Jesus says, I have good news. I have good news for you. And, of course, his good news goes beyond remedying those physical or, you know, real-life day-to-day situations. Of course, it, it includes that. But his good news was the good news of the gospel of salvation that starts in this life and continues to eternal, eternal life. That's good news. And his good news, would he would live it out through his entire life, his death, and his resurrection. He also says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Again, what's the first, you know, main thing that anybody who's a prisoner wants to hear is freedom. Uh, and it's similar to also the next uh, statement after that, uh, following the recovery of sight to the blind, also set the oppressed free. And again, in those days, as it is also the case today, when we talk about the prisoners and the oppressed, many times it's the same. Because not everybody who's a prisoner is there because of their own fault. Now, maybe many of them are, and some of them are, but um, there's, there, when you talk about prisoners and oppressed, it's people who have, been, who have sinned, perhaps, but also have been sinned against. And uh, just think of the situation in, in this country as well as, I know it's true in Dominican Republic, where uh, more than 50% of people that are in jail have never been convicted of a crime. They're there waiting for trial. These are prisoners who are unjustly imprisoned. They're just waiting for freedom. And uh, the oppressed also have this situation where many of the poor would recognize that, that they're oppressed because of a rich landowner or uh, an employer who's not treating them right or some legal situation that has them, that's treating them wrong. All they want is freedom. All they want is to get out of that. Now, I'm not saying Jesus came and said, let's open up all the jails and get everybody out of jail. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about righting the wrongs, those wrongs that exist in the physical world, in the legal structures, as well as spiritually. Because how many people are maybe free physically walking around on the street, but they're prisoners of their own whatever it may be, vices, sins, habits. The oppression is internal not only external. He's providing freedom for that too. He's announcing that you're going to be free from that. And again, he does say, as I mentioned, um, sight for the blind. And uh, Jesus was uh, state, stating that as a direct fact. As he said, this is going to be fulfilled in your hearing because he did restore the sight to blind, physically speaking. And he also does so 
spiritually. And uh, it speaks of that. Jesus spoke of that numerous times throughout his, um, his ministry of those who are spiritually blind as well. He came to open those eyes. And finally, he says, or the, the quote that he takes, he ends at um, the verse that says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And again, people were sitting there saying, yeah, yeah, we've heard it before. You know, sounds good. Because, uh, but who, I, who wouldn't, wouldn't want that? The year of the Lord's favor. That meant that everything was going to be set right. And I think the Jewish people listening at that time, they stopped and thought about it and said, oh, you know, you know what that means? That's that year of Jubilee that we're supposed to be celebrating. Every seventh year, we're supposed to have a Sabbath year, you know, where the land is resting and, uh, you know, things are, are corrected. But then every four, uh, seven times seven, the 49th year, is supposed to be a Jubilee when all the debts were canceled, people who were, were imprisoned were set free if they lost their land for some whatever reason, they were restored their inheritance, when all the wrongs would be set right. That was God's purpose for the people of Israel from the time that he placed them in the, in the promised land. Now, sadly to say, that did not always take place. It was not uh, practiced fully many times throughout the history of Israel. But it was there. It was a promise. It was God's purpose. And here Jesus is saying, that's what I'm proclaiming. It's going to happen. It's, in fact, he says it's being fulfilled right now. Now, again, it didn't mean immediately that all those things would happen on a legal status and socially and so forth. But he is proclaiming the beginning of it. Now, we could say this is another way of saying what Jesus' main message was anyway as he began to preach. And we can see this in uh, all the Gospels. that he, what His first message was proclaiming God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is, is approaching. It's near. This is what he's talking about. When all those wrongs are made right, when the good news is being preached and people are being freed from all the forms of oppression, and now everything's going to be set right. That was Jesus' message, and it was his ministry as well. And he didn't only make this type of statement now. Obviously, he, by reading this and stating it, and we have it today in, here in the book of Luke, we can see very clearly what it, it was. But Jesus also sprinkled this throughout his ministry. He made numerous statements of what his, his purpose was. And we can look at several of them. Uh, for example, uh, Luke 19, verse 10. Some of these scriptures may come up on the screen, I'm hoping. Uh, where he described his mission again. And different situations, you know, there were questions and Jesus, what are you doing here? What are you doing there? He says, well, let me tell you what I'm doing. Luke 19, 10, he says, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then in Matthew 20, verse 28, again, in a specific situation where there were questions from disciples and so forth, he's, he, had, he was giving, telling about what true service meant. And he says, uh, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And also another good example of that is in John 10, verse 10, where he says, I have come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. All this, these various statements and what Jesus did through his life, his ministry, as well as his death and resurrection, that was his mission. And we can ask ourselves today, what does that mean for us? I think maybe uh, we may have the tendency to 
kind of applaud and cheer Jesus. Yeah, go for it, Jesus. That's what you had. That's what you're supposed to do. And then we sit down, and we don't do much else. And of course, you know, we can look at Jesus and see he was uniquely anointed by the Spirit. He was the Christ, the Messiah, the only one. So we have to say, okay, well, I guess that was done. He was the only one who could save his people from their sins and die for our sins and rise from the dead to uh, give us the seal, the promise of eternal life. But does that mean that Jesus' mission ended with him? That's it. He did his thing. He's over. Boom. Good thing. It was a good thing he did, but that was all. Well, Jesus made it very clear himself that that is not the case. From his ministry, the very beginning of his ministry, he began to set up the assurance that this would not be the end. He knew he was here for a short time, but the ministry would continue. By calling these 12 disciples, training them throughout, throughout his ministry on earth, he was laying the groundwork for that kingdom ministry to continue. And the, the training that they had, the teaching that they had throughout that time, was you know, led up to the point where he departed, and he also warned them very clearly, told them a couple times that he was leaving. Because they didn't necessarily want to hear that. Uh, but he said it's perhaps one of the uh, most, almost funny passages you read when you think about it. it. says, Jesus says, you know, it's really better for you guys that I leave. Of course, they didn't want to hear that. That's in John 14. Um, but as it came about, as he had risen from the dead, he came back, and then he made it abundantly clear for those disciples when he commissioned them for the ministry that would continue. And the passage is known as the Great Commissions, plural, uh, are various places throughout the Bible. They're called four, there's four, five of them actually, four Gospels and one in the book of Acts. Perhaps most succinctly we see this summarized in John 20, 21, where the first time he appears to his disciples, where he says, peace be with you first. Then he says, as the Father sent me, everything that that means, that the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He's sending them out with that same mission. And it's also uh, reflected in Acts 1 verse 8, shortly before the ascension. Uh, And uh, he speaks of the calling that they would have, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, And various other explanations or expressions of the Great Commission are given. Now, we know, as today is Pentecost Sunday, that that was fulfilled. There was the coming of the Spirit in which the disciples, not just the twelve, but a larger group, um, received the Spirit, spoke in tongues, there were miracles, thousands of people were converted, and I think it probably was at that point, in fact, it had to be at that point, that it kind of clicked for them. They realized, oh, yeah, we can't just be hiding in some upper room somewhere. Jesus said it so many times, okay, this is it, we're on the street. We are now going to continue what Jesus called us to do. And what he had passed on by the coming of the Spirit was that anointing. That Jesus was anointed, and so were they. And guess what? So are we. We are also anointed. As he came on them, he comes on us. And he gives us power. Power, of course, in the way that Jesus expressed power. Not as the world does so. Uh, 
And he stated that many times as well. And he did it with the purpose of fulfilling that mission, to proclaim the good news to the poor. That's why we're here. To proclaim freedom to the prisoners and to the oppressed, to set them free, and uh, to recovery of sight to the blind, and, the, and to proclaim that year of God's grace, of God's favor. And if we can't preach anything else, we've got to preach grace. That is what God, that's God's message for this world, grace. The same power continues. The same power continues. Now, there's one other interesting tidbit is that uh, you might say, well, wait a minute, go back to Isaiah again. Why did Jesus stop in the middle of a verse? Well, remember, they didn't have chapter verse at that time, but he did stop after the statement of proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And did not read the next section, which is the... Um, oh, boy. Oh, yeah, the part about vengeance. Did not proclaim that. They might say, okay, oh, it's just saying that that means there's no judgment, there's no, you know, none of that. No, he's saying, I'm telling you why I'm coming. That's what Jesus said, was saying. He's, his purpose was not to bring judgment, was not to bring vengeance. He came to save, to seek and save those who are lost. And perhaps most clearly stated in John 3.17, very well-known verse, John 3.16, of course, where God so loved the world. Well, the next verse says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. That's not why he came, but that the world through him would be saved. And as that message continues, through, continued through the apostles, it continues to this day. And, you know, God's still doing this work. He's doing it through his people. He is proclaiming the good news and setting prisoners free and the oppressed free. And there are so many examples and uh, Shortly, we're going to uh, see a video from the, the ministry of Resonate Global Mission in Dominican Republic. But you'll see little pieces of that, little glimpses of, of that work, that mission being carried out through Christian, church, uh, Christian schools, through churches, through youth ministry and community transformation. These are happening. And we need to embrace that, not only somewhere else, but here as well. And I'm sure this church is, has, is embracing ministries. I think even something so simple as a, a food pantry in the foyer of the church. That's providing freedom for somebody that couldn't afford to go to the grocery store this week. And there are so many little ways in which we can do it, but also in big ways that as we live out the gospel, proclaim it in our lives, and we are also anointed to carry out that mission. May the Spirit guide us. May the Spirit empower us and give us that urge, that mission clearly in our lives. I can't tell you how to do that each and, each and everyone's life, but the Spirit is upon us. He will guide us and He will lead us into it. May we live it out by His power. Thank you. God bless.